Welcome to the second of three interviews with the faculty of the Educational Initiative, Managing Hyperglycemia in Inpatients, Ensuring Success. The interview series was produced by ASHP Advantage and supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk, Inc. This interview features Dr. Kevin Box, who is Senior Clinical Pharmacist at UC San Diego Health System. Carla Brink, Scientific Project Director with the ASHP Office of Professional Development, conducted the interview. Well, welcome, Kevin. In looking at the overall picture of managing hyperglycemia in hospitalized patients, what should every hospital be doing that they probably are not? I think metrics is probably something that a lot of hospitals aren't doing. I think when you're looking at glycemic control, you have to have metrics, and metrics are your roadmap. If you don't know where you're at, you don't know where you're going to go. So how do you get there? If we don't know where we are, we really can't track our problems, find our problems, or even find opportunities for improvement. Okay. So what kind of metrics should be monitored? Well, I, I think there's three that are becoming more standardized that I think most institutions should be using. I think it should be the day-weighted mean glucose greater than 180 milligrams per deciliter for blood sugars. I think it should be the patient days with at least one glucose value less than 70. And also, if you have that patient that had a blood glucose less than 70, did they have proper follow-up? Did they have a follow-up blood sugar within 30 minutes? I think those are probably the three metrics that will probably be the comparisons as we start getting more and more into comparisons from hospital to hospital. I think some other ones that you should be doing when you're doing metrics, though, you need to have a continuous metrics process in place. You need to be able to generate a report, either monthly or quarterly, broken down by unit, broken down by service, so that you can go back. You may be identifying certain physician practices that may need to be targeted for change, or some floors may need targeted for change. So the monthly and the quarterly reports really help for that. The real-time report that we use a lot is we actually are able to generate a daily hyperglycemic report and a daily hypoglycemic report. So we get all patients with a blood sugar greater than 180 and all patients with a blood sugar less than 70. So we can proactively start looking at them and see if we can make some changes to prevent further hypoglycemic events. Okay, so what you're saying is that you, you have these monthly or quarterly reports that give you the long-term trends or whatever, and then you, you then also have these daily reports. Correct. Good. So you get the results of these metrics for different units in the hospital. How do you use the results? So this is actually a good opportunity for a pharmacy. This is a good opportunity for medication use evaluations by your pharmacy students, by your pharmacy residents, or even what your staff have to look at. Once you start talking with the nurses, you start looking at it, where your numbers are, you'll start coming up with MUEs. Some of the things that we've looked at back in the very early days in the 90s was what are our prescribing patterns? A lot of the prescribing patterns when we started were sliding scale only. We weren't really using basal bolus, and we didn't have an order set, and we didn't have a computerized order entry at the time. So those were barriers to getting the appropriate management make going in the first place. So I think if they don't, if a hospital doesn't have an order set, I think they definitely need at least a paper order set, if not in their CPOE system. Looking at hypoglycemic causes, 
Is it carbohydrate mismatch? Is it timing of trays? Is it inappropriate, again, inappropriate prescribing? It, it keeps creeping in, every, you know, mm-hmm. when you think you get rid of it and it keeps coming back. Do the patients have the correct diet? Were they on carb-limited diets? I think it's also important, and a lot of hospitals don't look at this, but because it's, it's a lot of work, but you need to look at what is your compliance with the actual protocols that you've put into place. So you need a quality improvement process. So you implement a change, you need to reevaluate the change, and then make a change to the change as, as you're mm-hmm. progressing through. You'll find, you'll find when you start doing this, you think you have one thing controlled, and then another thing comes up. You know, or so there's always something because the whole glycemic management process in the hospital, it's so dynamic and it's just really hard to get a good grasp on it as an institutional basis. Um, some of the other things that I think you have to look at is your continuous infusion protocols. Again, compliance with that. And a lot of the insulin infusion protocols that they were back from the the protocols from tight glycemic controls have you has your hospital changed you know to reflect not tight glycemic control but more of a moderate or rational glycemic control a, a, you know 90 to 180 or 100 to 180 range instead of a 80 to 110 which is what the Vandenberg trials were recommending we also found as a side of that once we were transitioning off of the insulin infusion. That we have a, a computerized protocol, and we get the patients perfectly stable. Their blood sugars are perfect, and then we go to transition them. And the next day, they'd be back at 200, 250. Mm-hmm. And it was because we didn't have a good system for transitioning the patients off of the insulin infusion. We probably, I'd say, at least once a year, we go back and we. You know, take a snapshot. You don't have to do a long period of time, but, you, you know, two-week period or something like that, and you look at all hypoglycemic events, and then you look at what breakdown, what were the causes. Was it prescribing? Was it administration? Was it a nutritional timing problem or a nu- nutritional mismatch? All of those things are what um, all can contribute to factors to hy- hypoglycemic events. Right. Well, who in the hospital is responsible for collecting those data that you're, you're talking about, and then acting on it. Different hospitals are probably going to come up with different solutions for how they, they handle it. I can tell you how we handle it at our institution. One of the problems is most of these processes that we're doing are done with already in place staff. There's not a lot of new positions being created for right. these. But the one big institutional buy-in that I think is probably this the most important, especially since we're talking about metrics, is you need a good data analyst that's pretty much almost going to be full-time devoted to glycemic control Um, because you have to be careful with your data. Depending on how you choose to get your blood sugars downloaded into the system, you may get repeats. You have to make sure that you have actually good data to start out with before you can make you know, even think about making any changes. It probably took us almost two years at our institution to figure out why our data wasn't matching up. Okay. And part of it was we were getting data from when the nurses were documenting, we were getting data from the lab, we were getting data from point of care testing. So there was all these possible sources. So we would get multiple of the same levels. It was a challenge. So now we're going to just point of care testing for what ours are. 
and then again you have to have somebody that's going to be able to get the data good and then be able to break it down by the metrics that we talked about and then also break it down further to units to services and if you need to do a drill down even more we can always start pulling those patients and getting those data so i think a data analyst is is probably a very underlooked under-resourced part of the whole glycemic control project what we have is we actually have a glycemic control steering committee at our institution it consists of physicians we have hospitalists, we have endocrinologists, we have surgeons on it, pharmacists are on there, we have nurses, we have floor nurses, we have our CDEs, which are also nurses, our diabetic educators. Laboratory is in this. Informatics is in this. Informatics is another one that people don't think about, but a lot of the solutions that we've come up with have been through computerized physician order entry or getting the ability to get better reports that we can concentrate our efforts on. Nutrition department, the timing of the trays. Missed meals. Missed meals. Um, Even patients don't like the meals. You know, we we had a fight at our institution with, we didn't know it, we thought the the Jell-O was sugar-free. It turned out it wasn't sugar-free. But, you know, it took us probably a year to figure out what that little cause was. When you get all of these people talking together, and then you probably need somebody from the quality improvement side just to kind of help. Again, it's one thing to get data, but then you don't want to go to analysis paralysis. You want to be able to take that data and then actually figure out what your next change is going to be and then monitor it again. So I think those are kind of important. And then we have, under that steering committee, we will have subcommittees under it. We actually have a big active group of nurses from the floors that they meet and they say, hey, these are the problems that we're seeing or this is why we can't uh, recheck our blood sugar. Or So, you know, it it is truly a multidisciplinary task force that you have to get everybody's buy-in from. Right. And remind me again about the size of your institution. We have about 500 beds, typically. We run a census of around 500. Okay. Do you have any advice for, let's say, smaller institutions or whatever that don't have the, I'll say, luxury, at least even at this point, of they don't have the data analyst or whatever? Do you have any suggestions on how they could get going on this? Well, if you actually look at some of the hospitals that are doing this extremely well, it's actually the smaller community hospitals. Um, I have some friends, actually, that uh, are at a very small, non-academic, private hospital, and they have some of the best metrics in the country. It's probably more getting buy-in for the resources. Okay. You don't necessarily need students or residents because they're going to be doing a lot of other projects, but you do need some dedicated people that are motivated to make changes. So I think really having a physician champion helps a lot. At our institution, once we had a full-time endocrinologist that just specialized in glycemic control, that really helped. If our department, we, we're kind of the insulin police at our institution. We really utilize the pharmacists when they're validating the orders. They're like, does this order make sense? And if not, we call the provider. And if we start getting kickback from the providers, 
we now have a physician that's our champion that she's always willing to, to go and talk to the other physician. The other thing that's nice about that, again, going back to the metrics, if you can start showing that physician that they are an outlier, you can change habits. So I think, again, the systems that you just need the data analysis, and you probably only need, as a smaller institution, a physician, a pharmacist, a nurse, a nutrition. All of those are standard bodies that everybody should have. Right. Kevin, two of the measures you mentioned relate to hypoglycemia. What advice can you share about avoiding hypoglycemia in inpatients? Well, the easiest way to avoid hypoglycemia is simply checking levels. That's the number one. We always say, if in doubt, check another blood sugar. Check it sooner than you, if you need to. So we actually have a PRN blood glucose check for our nurses, so they're empowered to, if they think there was a change, if there's a diet mismatch and they're unsure, even though their next scheduled blood sugar isn't for four hours, if they need to check a blood sugar because of a change in clinical status, that is definitely something to help. And then, again, you have to go back to prescribing habits. Prescribing habits for most institutions are a big problem. So inappropriate prescribing, typically the high-dose sliding scales or the physicians will increase their long-acting insulins and not change their nutritional. And then what happens when the patient goes NPO for something? Mm -hmm. You're stacked with all this long-acting insulin and you're going to have to start a D10 drip. Again, you can avoid those lows if somebody's on it and checks it and checks the blood sugars and starts a D10 drip. It's not a problem, but it comes back to doing that. I think you also have to be careful in certain patient populations, type 1 diabetics. I think you have to be careful with patients with renal failure. You probably have to be a little bit more conservative. The one thing we found at our institution was we had a very high percentage of patients with their first hypoglycemic event. A high percentage of those patients went on to have more throughout the hospital stay. So one of those things is if you have an event, you got to make sure that you're addressing it. A lot of the times people weren't addressing the original cause of the hypoglycemia, and then it became a recurrent process issue. Classic example at our institution is in our burn unit when they hold the tube feeds to go to the OR every every other day for dressing changes and things like that. It's a continuous process that we keep setting ourselves up for hypoglycemic events. So we had to devise a whole plan about how are we going to deal with this specific patient population that that we identified as high risk. And then did that help? It's getting better. You know, glycemic control is always a work in progress. When I was meeting with my endocrinologist last week, I'm like, look at these numbers. They're great. And she's like, we can still do better. Right. So, you know, the answer is you want zero days of a blood of a day weighted mean greater than 180, and you want zero days of hypoglycemic events. Both of those are probably impossible to do, but you want to strive to get as low as you can. Right. You mentioned in your presentation that in general, oral medications should not be used in the hospital for glycemic control. And I assume this even applies to patients who've been taking oral medications for diabetes as as outpatients. I'm curious about how patients and their families react to this. I imagine 
that there is sometimes pushback, you know, because they're accustomed to their oral regimens and they know, or at least they think they know, that they work. Am I right? Do you see that? Surprisingly, a lot of the patients, once you go and you talk to them and you actually sit down and explain this is why we're changing your regimens up when you go back home and you're on your regular diet, your regular routines, then we'll put you back on your home regimens. But when we take the time to actually explain why we're doing what we're doing, most of the patients actually go along with it pretty well. Okay. It's the physicians that actually have a harder time with the transitions of care, if you will. They don't want to change what the outpatient provider is doing. They, they want to just continue what they were doing previously into the inpatient setting. The problem is, again, there's so many complicating factors that you can't really continue the orals. There's too many opportunities for orals to cause hypoglycemia. We did have a group of physicians at our institution that were adamant about not changing their regimens. And it actually turns out when we started looking at that group of physicians, their group had a higher incidence of hypoglycemia. Hmm. We took that back to them and we said, here's your proof. Compare your practice to the rest of everybody else. And they did finally, again, come on board. But it's, again, the power of having the data actually use what you need. Well, interesting. Well, thank you, Kevin. I really enjoyed talking with you today, and I'm sure our other pharmacists listening in will feel the same. Thank you, Carla. You're welcome. This concludes this faculty interview. If you'd like to hear more about managing hyperglycemia in inpatients, please listen to the other two interviews in this series. In addition, a web-based continuing pharmacy education activity based on the Mid-Year Symposium will be available in mid-February 2014. To access this activity and other educational opportunities on this topic, visit the web portal at www.ashpadvantage.com forward slash hyperglycemia.